Good evening. How is everyone? Okay, if you've never heard a southern accent, you're hearing it now. It is the joy of being raised south of the Mason-Dixon land on the East Coast. It is the joy of growing up eating biscuits and gravy, knowing what grits are, and pro-wrestling. Um, that's the joy of the vernacular that you're hearing now. Good evening, guys. My name is Brian Burgess. I have the great privilege to be your, what I guess the keynote speaker for this weekend. Let me go ahead and say it like this. These things are speakers. I'm a preacher. I didn't come here to be the guest speaker this weekend. I just came to be your big brother in the Lord to point along toward Jesus with you. Is that cool? Because we're all laboring in the same, we're all laboring in the same vineyard. There, there's only one superstar in Christianity, and I'm not him. His name's Jesus Christ. And so if that's okay with you, can I just be myself this weekend and, and not have to be your special speaker? Is that cool? Amen. Um, as uh, introduced by Kyle Wallago, I, uh, I, I do get to travel the world and preach the gospel. Uh, a good friend of mine, a childhood friend named Clayton King, he and I 21 years ago developed a ministry called Crossroads Summer Camp and CKM Ministries. And so we exist to preach the gospel, to make disciples, and to help establish the local church. And we've had a great opportunity to do that. We lead a summer camp that meets in Anderson, South Carolina. Uh, this will be our 21st year of doing that camp where we have, uh, a, we're right at now capacity about 6,000 students registered for that camp along seven, seven weeks. So if you guys want to get on a plane and come on out for summer camp, we'd love to, love to have you there. We also do um, winter conferences in Tennessee. Uh, we travel around as, as well as itinerant evangelists. And, uh, and then we go on mission trips and plan mission trips for folks on every continent of the, of the world. So it's been an awesome, wild ride growing up with my best friend and uh, getting to preach the gospel and do all that good stuff. The, one of the joys I have, though, is I am uh, I'm a husband of 13 and a half years to my lovely bride, Angie. I know what you're thinking. No, she's not visually impaired, okay? Uh, I don't know why God cursed her so much and blessed me, but I'm very, very grateful. Uh, love my wife. She is a strong, strong woman of God. Um, she's just, yeah, pretty amazing. Love her, love her, love her. Uh, can't say enough about her. Um, we have four kids. Uh, so at our house, a, a fist fight uh, and a prayer meeting could all break out at the same time. Okay. We wake up in the morning. Every morning we get up at, a, Angie and I get up at about 4.50 in the morning. Uh, kids wake up at 5.30. They're in the shower. And then you know how it rolls from there, right? Leave your brother alone. Leave your sister alone. Stop it. Or do you have your wrestling stuff? Do you have your baseball stuff? Do you have your basketball stuff? Get in the car. Did you get breakfast? No, we don't have time for that. No, no, we've got to go now. All right, stop it. Don't, don't touch one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to love one another. Anybody, anybody know those kind of morning conversations? Praise God. That's what I'm talking about right there. Love it. The rest of you who are afraid to admit it, it's okay. Confession is good for the soul. Amen. It's good, good for the soul. Um, so I have four children. One of them is uh, with me tonight. He's my oldest. This is, as you see in the picture, uh, this is Brixon. Brixon, you want to, how about this? Come on up here, bud, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to pray. Uh, Brixon today, right now, 12 years and an hour ago, came kicking and screaming into this world. So today's his 12th birthday. Amen. Um, 
We have a 10-year-old son named Xavier, um, and an eight-year-old son named Briven, and then a, four, a five-year-old daughter named Georgia Rain. And uh, let me just say, uh, we love our boys, but boys drool, girls rule. Uh, it's just absolutely, absolutely amazing. We are a uh, baseball wrestling family. Uh, just now getting into swimming. Brixton's starting to swim uh, this year. I hear this is kind of a big swimming community. Is that is that correct? Is this a wrestling community? Do you guys do y'all wrestle? Y'all, y'all? Yeah, some some people do. We we love to wrestle. It's it's the only sport next to swimming that you actually do what you're saying you're going to do. You can't play wrestling and you can't play swimming. You actually have to do it. If you don't swim, you drown. If you don't wrestle, you look really stupid in a really tight spandex uniform, okay? Just making sure you're paying attention. Uh, but uh, my wife is, uh, her ministry, she's a public school administrator. Uh, we, we love the public schools and we send our kids there. It's our own personal conviction. Our kids happen to go to what we call a dual immersion school. So uh, kindergarten was all Spanish, no English was spoken. Uh, and then uh, first through fifth grade, one day's English, one day Spanish. And so all my kids are fluent in Spanish and I always put bricks in on the spot and uh, I, I make him pray. And so I'm gonna ask him to pray in Spanish if that's okay with you guys, if it's not, just hang here with us because it's about to happen. Uh, and, then he, and then he's going to be biblical about his tongue that he speaks. He's going to translate it for you. Is that cool? And uh, we're, we're going to get to stay uh, about a day uh, afterwards and want to do some sightseeing. So uh, any of you have a four-wheel drive that you'd be willing to go with us or let us borrow so we can go to Yosemite, we would love you forever. You would have eternal fame and glory and great riches in heaven. Amen. Uh, so, uh, so good deal. Bricks, how about this? It's is, is this mic on, brother? It's on. How about this? Would you pray for us tonight? And then uh, don't say amen because I'm going to pray too. But translate your prayer. Is that cool? All right. Love you. Do it. Here we go. Thank you. Dios, gracias por este día que podemos venir aquí para que podemos escuchar que, uh, de tus palabras en tu, uh, en la Bibil, uh, en tus, uh, y tus palabras. God, thank you for this day that we can come to listen to your word and your Bible and that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. And I thank you for a church that's willing to invest in in the purity of families, not just in students, but in the purity of families. And Father, your word tells us that without holiness, it is impossible to please you. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you be with us in this journey and let us set the stage tonight, Lord Jesus. As your people get to know me and I get to know them, but Lord, most importantly, may we get to know you. Because when we know you, it changes everything. And I ask these things in the wonderful, amazing name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, Brixton. So the True Love Waits Project, or the True Love Project. True Love Waits has happened for many, many years. And so um, my, my good friend Clayton was commissioned by Lifeway to, to basically re- revitalize this work. And so we've had a great amount of time. And so a lot of the things that we'll share this weekend are from that book to which you can pick up either online, um, but it's just True Love Project. We also have devotionals that go along with it. So you'll hear uh, a lot of our collaboration on that this weekend. I wanna show you a, a, a picture. Now I want you to brace yourself, okay? Well, let me, can I just go ahead? How, how many students right now are like, and, and maybe adults that are ridiculously nervous like, are we really gonna talk about sex in front of my parents? Would you just raise your hand right now? As if you're not, praise God for you and you and you and you. I love it. 
I love it. That is absolutely amazing. Probably what you're really freaking out about is that your mom and dad might be nervous about it as well. Okay. But it's okay. It's absolutely okay. And we're going to talk a lot about that tomorrow. So no need to be nervous. No need to be like on edge, like what in the world is this guy going to say? I have four kids. So this isn't just, um, number one, I, yeah, four kids says, says a lot. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right, just making sure you're paying attention. I also have ADHD uh, as an adult. I didn't figure it out as a kid. I grew up in the time frame where we didn't know what Ritalin was or methylphenidate or any of those kind of things like that. It was just a reason when you got whipped. Like had my mom knew what ADHD was, little old red up five foot four, packing a wallet. Had she known what that was, I would have had, it would have saved me a whole bunch of whippings. Like Time out at my house was the time your mama hit you, backed up, and hit you again, okay? That was, there, there was no time out, go stand in the corner. It was like, boy, if you don't sit down and be quiet. Anybody have that kind of household? Yeah. I just saw some people elbowing some, some people in here. Yeah, elbowing other people. So anyway, yeah. So I don't even need a minute to get distracted. I mean, if, if I just say squirrel all of a sudden, it's just like me cleansing the palate, okay, and getting back at it. Now, if you're a super type A person, you're already nervous. Not the fact I mentioned sex in church, but just the fact you don't know what to do with an ADHD, per, uh, ADHD person. So good. Now that I have all your attention. I want to show you a picture and a picture that maybe you know a lot about. Okay. I want to show you a picture that I, I think is pretty compelling, at least on the East Coast. You may not have that many here, but are you guys familiar with this picture right here? Do you know what this signage is? What is this signage right here? Huh? It is the hot and now sign for, for what company? Krispy Kreme. It is the, if there was another akin, like generic version of the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him here, creatures hear me low, this would be its replacement right here. Hot now. Anybody, anybody say amen with me? Yes, I see those hands. The buses are waiting. Yes. It's awesome. Man, when, when on the East Coast where we're from, we have a Krispy Kreme in Winston, 30 miles away. We have a Krispy Kreme in Hickory, 20 minutes away. We have a Krispy Kreme. I mean, we're, there's Krispy Kremes all over the place. And when you see this sign, it means game on, right? It means if you've ever had a reason to indulge, now's the time. That it's specific, that it's exact, that you know exactly what you're getting when you see this. It's useless calories, but why not, right? Because it announces one thing, somewhere on a small conveyor belt, there are these scrumptious, hot and now glazed donuts, right? And you know if you mash them up like into a little, like a small ball, like less calories immediately, like smaller <laughs> means less, that's what we're talking about, right? Isn't that crazy how, how that's like a universal sign for us? Now, if you've ever seen that, you've never experienced it, it's the Lord bless you and be with you and cause his face to shine upon you and put you in a place where you see a hot and outside. That's all I got to say about that. It's just an amazing experience. It is an experience that sticks with you that no matter what state you're in or what country I'm in, if I see a hot and outside, it means one thing, glazed, hot, fresh, donuts, it's wonderful. It means they're accessible if I'm willing to pay the price and live with the consequence. Hello? 
You know, there's so many things that our world throws out just like this with a hot now sign. So many things that our culture packages and puts in front of us that has its own blinking lights, that it has its own register, that somehow or another reaches our passions so big and so influential that it absolutely, totally wastes our reasoning and our ability to process the fact that it might not be the best thing for me. You with me? One of the things that our world does that with is with sex, sexuality, and sexual expression. And the real question becomes at that point is hot now versus not now. You with me? And we could run the gamut. I could use numerous examples tonight, but for the sake of time and for the focus of our weekend, we want to put this in the parameter of sexual expression, of sexuality, and the real focus of purity. You see, the Bible knows that... <laughs> And the Lord's fully aware that not only do we struggle at times with whether we should have those useless calories, right? The Bible knows that there are triggers that culture presents before us that are real issues. And the Bible knows that you will be faced with decisions that are difficult to handle on your own. To where you really have to ask the question, hot now or not versus not now? And what I want to help us do this weekend is get to the place to where we can understand hot now is a good thing. Hot now is a gift. But outside of the parameters of hot now, my best response and most godly response is, is not now for right purposes. I want to turn our attentions tonight. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, I made it available on the screen for us to a passage that we're gonna to use tonight and then in our first session in the morning, specifically for the students who are here and what adults are, are back with us in the morning. But a passage of scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter four that I think is absolutely brilliant. We'll only be able to introduce a part of it tonight, but we'll add to it tomorrow morning. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, an amazing passage because not only did the church in Thessal Thessalonica or Thessaloniki is how we, how we really say it. Not only were they struggling, but every church plant throughout the Greco-Roman world was struggling with what it meant to be a Christian in a sex-crazed culture. You with me? Is that okay for me to use those kind of terminologies with us? All right? If you ever have the opportunity, I, I hope you will as a church to go on biblical land tours. I hope that you will at some point set some money aside and go to Israel and Egypt and go to Greece and Turkey. Paul, remember there were no grace churches there. There were no first Baptists there. There were no first Prezes there. There were the community church plant of the celestial prostitutes who just were saved fresh out of the temple of Apollos. There are the temple guys who were backdoor butchers because when you went to worship a pagan god in the ancient world, you took meat and what meat wasn't used, you sold it out the back door of that temple to the local butchers. I don't know if you guys have paid attention in the First Corinthian correspondence where Paul really has to deal with the fact that 
There are people who have Christians who now have conscience because they're, the filet mignon they're buying was just an hour ago offered to Zeus. And they're trying to figure out what is happening. The New Testament world knows full well the struggle of what it means to live purely in a totally impure culture. When I run into Christians who are very dedicated to the Lord and they go, I just want to be, I just want to be a New Testament church. And I'm like, oh, really? Which one? Because <laughs> if you've read any of the letters of the New Testament, those churches were super scary. Because they did all kinds of stuff. And what I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything. It lets you see the fact that God is willing to invest in sinners and is very confident in who he is in accomplishing his mission. I always say it like this, specifically if I'm in Texas, God can hit a good lick with a crooked stick. And all of us are affected like that. We are affected by sin. And Paul wrote to these churches. Let me... if. Maybe if you don't pick up on it thus far, let me illustrate it like this. There was an oracle in the ancient world called the Oracle of Asclepian. It was like Asclepian was the god of hygiene. Corinth had the largest oracle. When they excavated Corinth, and they specifically excavated the Oracle of Asclepian, you see, if you were sick, you would go to the oracle, you would pay a fee, and then the oracle's celestial prostitute would be visited by the god of Asclepian. They would speak some kind of garbled tongue. You would pay the priest to interpret that tongue and then pronounce a blessing over you. If you could not go to the oracle, you with me? Then you would make a clay model of whatever was ailing you. When they excavated Corinth, they found hundreds of thousands of male and female genitalia in the Oracle of Asclepian. What does that tell us? STDs were rampant. So to think that we have progressed in such a way, I know that's pretty gross, but it's the truth. You can go there and see it yourself. To say we pretty much progressed and we're an awful society, we've been struggling with that the day we walked out of the garden. So what's God's call on our life? And that's what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says it like this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 and following, he says, Finally, brothers and ladies, that's not male-dominated language. He's just simply talking to Christians. He says, We instructed you how to live in order to please God. Isn't that amazing that while God knows full well that we're sinners, he is willing to invite you and me, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of intellect, regardless of socioeconomic standard, he's invited us to have the wonderful opportunity to live in a way that pleases him. And it pleases God when you say yes to him. So he writes to them and says, hey, we've given you instructions on how to live in a way to please God. He says, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. In other words, he's saying, we're begging you to keep doing this, to not, to not shrink back on this, to not, to not get sidetracked or distracted or have ADHD spiritually on us, to, to stay the course. And he says, for you know what instructions we gave you by, notice this, the authority of the Lord Jesus. The authority of the Lord 
Jesus. Now, church and students, I want you to, want you to hold on to that because we're going to ask some questions. Notice what he says in this next verse, and this is, this is where we'll build tonight and set the stage for tomorrow. Paul writes and says, it is God's will that you be sanctified. It is God's will. Now, here's what I love. I'm not going to be under any naivete because I've been able to travel and preach for 20 plus years, and I, I, I don't take for granted that just because we're rolled up in church on a Friday night that all of us are born-again Christians. Just because I go to Pizza Hut doesn't make me a large pepperoni with cheese, correct? Right? You with me? And so I want to be very real about this, is that not everyone is willing to accept the Lord's authority on their life. What I love about this passage is that Paul comes straight out of the gate and he says, it is God's will. In other words, there is an ultimate creator and I'm not him. There's an ultimate authority and it's not me. There's an ultimate authority and it's not you. It is the creator of this world that breathed breath into you, that thought you up, that made you in his likeness. You with me? And what I love about this is that he has a will for you. Isn't that crazy? I find Christians all over the world stressing out over the will of God. I just want to know the will of God for my life. I just want to know what God wants me to do right now. I just, you ever been there? I just, we just, we just it's, and then you get into the we just prayers. You ever heard the we just prayers? Lord, we just, Lord, we just, Lord, we just, Lord, we just. Lord, we just, all right? You ever heard that one person pray that's like calls God's name like 850 million times in like a three minute prayer? Lord, I'm gonna, and Lord God, and Lord God, and Lord God. I just wonder if the Lord's ever like, I'm listening. <laughs> okay, you have, you have my attention, right? Parents, you know what that's like, right? Mama, 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 mama. Hey, mama, hey, mama. Hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. It's like, just talk. Just say what you want to me to hear. And, Amen. Some of y'all hadn't laughed in church in a while. It's, it's okay. We're, we're going to get you there this weekend, right? Some of you are like, dude, we'll laugh. You'd say something funny. <laughs> Here we go. He's saying that there is, an, there is an ultimate authority and he has a will. And notice this is what his will is for you in every season of your life, that you be sanctified. Now, we use big words in church. Sometimes we don't even know what they mean. They just sound really good when they come out of our mouths, right? What in the world does it mean to be sanctified? Talk to me. I like talking back. Don't work at my house, but, I, you know, among my kids, but on the pulpit, I love. What does it mean to be sanctified? Holy. Holy. And I heard set apart. Okay, what does it mean to be holy? It's true. What does it mean to be set apart? Set apart from the world. Not conform to the world. Which, which world? Which branch of the secular world? Now, I'm not trying to be a jerk at this moment. I, I just want us to, somebody like, golly, Kyle, who'd you bring here this weekend? <laughs> you know, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> and he talks with a weird twang, Right? Yeah, here we go. What does it mean to be set apart? Let's think about it this way. Students, how many of you and your household, your parents have a piece of furniture that holds special dishes? What's that piece of furniture called? 
What's it called? A what? China cabinet or a hutch. Who said that? Yes. I didn't know anybody still called it a hutch. I'm a child from the 70s. There was a great show called Starsky and Hutch, and that's what we called ours. Top part was Starsky, bottom part was Hutch. It's awesome. I love you people already. Yes. It's a china cabinet or a hutch. Now, what's on the inside of the china cabinet? China, right? Do you ever get to use it? And junk. Yeah. You ever get to use that stuff? What happens if you and your brother, your sister, your friends are in there, and maybe you're playing Wii, and you're doing Wii dance, and you're getting your groove on, or a fist fight breaks out in the dining room, I can't stand you, Papa, and you get near it, you bump into it, and all the dishes in the, in the china cabinet, they start moving. What, what happens at your house? Oh, I can tell you. I can tell you what happens. My mama's 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 who got off the Mayflower's mama's mama who got off of Noah's Ark gave me those dishes and we've been handing them down from generation to generation and I was going to give them to you. But no, you don't care. If I had half the opportunities that you had when I was your age, my life would be so much different right now. That conversation ever happened at church? Don't raise your hand, students, right now. Mama, if you talk like that, please, in the name of Jesus, stop. <laughs> okay, just stop. What's your mama upset about? Those dishes, they're what? They're set apart. We don't know what for, because we can't touch them. <laughs> Be 41 years old next week. Bought my mom a set of dishes when I was in the eighth grade. They're still sitting in that china cabinet. I've been home for Thanksgiving and Christmas for years. We're still eating off a of chinette. Paper stuff. I'm like, Mom, why can't we use those? Don't, mm, don't even look at those dishes. I'm like, but I bought them. She's like, but you gave them to me and they're mine. If you don't like it, I'll whoop you. It don't matter to me. I'm just saying, settle down, Mama. Mama gets all upset because they're set apart. We don't know what for because we don't get to use them. Think about it this way. How many of you students, when you want to work on something, you go to where your dad or your grandpa's tools are, and you start opening up drawers, and you start grabbing stuff, Right? Now, when you're done working with those tools, do you put them back? Huh? Come on, talk to me. No. Not until you hear the garage door open. And, all right, I'm going to warn you, spoiler alert, don't raise your hand and answer the question that I'm getting ready to ask, okay? I just want you to think about it. How many of you guys have dads or grandpas that when they get mad, they make unintelligible noises, but you know exactly what they mean? Don't raise your hand. Y'all know what I'm saying? Yeah. The garage door opens up. Hear, you, hear your dad. And, and you think, tools, tools. But it's too late then, right? Your dad's all jacked up. Maybe it's not tools. How about this? How many of you guys come home from school and you're like, nobody's at home and you're like, man, I'm going to watch TV, right? And so you sit down in your dad's chair. And it's the chair that when it kicks back, goes like that, right? And right on the armrest, he has this what? Remote, right? Y'all with me? has the remote. And about the time your show gets on, somebody texts you on your phone, you get up and you're like, man, I'm hungry. And you're texting, you're trying to find a bowl of cereal. And then by the time you've got a bowl of cereal and you're texting your friend, you forgot all about TV. You run off to your room, remote sitting on the, on the countertop. By that time dad rolls in, you hear the chair, which means he's sitting in position, right? Command center position. And all of a sudden he goes, I'm getting sick and tired of people messing with my remote, right? 
You know what's so funny about that is like none of us live in houses that probably the television is more than 20 feet from us. Do we go over there into the box and go click, click, click? No, you tear a living room up and scream at everybody. Why? Because that magic wand is set apart. Special. We don't know what for because we don't get to use it. Just told where it's supposed to be, right? Think about it this way, though. How many of you guys have a, a smartphone? Got a smartphone? And on the smartphone, you have a, a thing called iTunes, right? And, and, and you got songs on your iTunes, right? So how many songs do you have? Maybe 300, maybe, something like that. Do you listen to all 300 at one time? Well, maybe if you're a seventh grader overdosing on Skittles, right? You know, all right, taste the rainbow. But if you're a normal person, you don't listen to all 300 at one time. You what? You listen to about 10 or 15, you put them on a what? A playlist. And what's a playlist? Of all the 300 songs you have, you set apart a few of them. 50 or so, thank you. For your enjoyment. And that's what I think God means when he says... It is my will that you be set apart. You be set apart for my enjoyment and for your enjoyment of me. But you see, that's the real issue, isn't it? Because you and I don't like being set apart to anybody, regardless of our age, except for ourselves. We like to be set apart to ourselves. And that's the issue. It's been the issue since the garden. That literally in the garden, we've been asking the biggest question, who really is Lord? Who really is in control? You with me? Our spiritual grandparents, Adam and Eve, God created them at the pinnacle of creation. You remember this? At the pinnacle of creation, he creates Adam, takes a clay man, breathes breath in him, looks at him and says, man, that's good. That's, that's good, good. And then they look around and, and, and he gives Adam this one decree. He says, Adam, you can do whatever you want to do in this garden, but that tree right there, you shall not eat of it, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you do, you will surely what? Die. And then immediately after he tells Adam that, he says it's not good for man to be alone. And they searched the garden to see if there was a helper suitable for Adam, but there wasn't one. And so the Bible says that the Lord caused the man to go into a deep sleep, and from his side he drew Eve. To the point that when Adam wakes up, he takes one look at Eve and he goes, whoa, man, right? That's how you Hebrew translate woman, whoa, man. Come on, guys, that's good right there. Oh, you Christians, good night, right? Whoa, man, he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's just super, she's just supersized in all the right places, praise God. And they were given to one another for one purpose, not to run around naked in the garden all day long going, I love you, I love you too, I love you. No, no, no. Notice what their number one responsibility was, is to help the other one live up to the commandments of God. Because in chapter three, they're standing in the garden, waiting to walk with God in the cool of the garden, and they stand right in front of the tree. And as they're standing in front of the tree, their enemy is the same enemy you and I have today, Lucifer, Satan. He looks at them 
And he says, hey, why don't you guys eat of that tree? And they're like, oh, we can't. Why? Because the day we eat of it, we'll surely die. Pfft, really? Come on. Who told you that? Well, well, God, that's his commandment. The only reason he told you that is because he knows that the day you eat of it, it's not that you're going to die. You're going to be just like him, knowing good and evil, as though the devil were throwing the greatest accusation against God that he's the most insecure being in all the world as though he's kept something from you. You with me? And the Bible says that Adam and Eve both saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes, able to make one wise and was good for food, and they reached out and took what was not theirs. And all of a sudden, they went from being good, good, naked and unashamed, to going bad, bad, real ashamed. And they ran and hid from one another, and they ran and hid from God. And what they thought was going to make them free put them in bondage and it walked them out of the garden. And you and I have been struggling with that ever since. We've been struggling with what the Bible calls sin. And you see, at any point that we begin to talk about purity and a pure lifestyle and what it means to live in purity, that's where we have to start. We have to start with the question of who really is Lord because if you look at how the Bible defines sin, see here, students, here, here's the thing I want you to understand is that sin isn't just the wordy dirds that you say or the bad thoughts that you have or the evil intention you have in your heart. Sin is this. It's simply choosing your way over God's. And that's exactly what our spiritual grandparents did. They had a clear line of what they could do and what they couldn't do. And they reached out to take what was not theirs. They chose their way over the Father's and it walked them out of his presence. And you and I have been struggling ever since. You see, and it's all a question of who's really Lord, who, who really is in control, who's in charge. You see, no one has to teach me how to sin. I, well, if sinning were a sport, I'd be a born natural professional. I'd be born a Division I athlete. Amen? Think about it this way. Students, y'all ready? Just me and you here. Parents are going to listen, right? Walk into the house, drop your books by the door. Is that where they belong? No, take off to your room, halfway to your room from the kitchen, you hear, honey, and what's your response? Come on, I know we're in church, but let's, let's be real about it. What's your response? You slump over, your size eights turn into 100-pound blocks, and you go, what? Right? Huh? And you stomp all the way back in there, unless you lived at Loretta's house, <laughs> right? You know what that is? It's the outward expression of the inward reality. I love choosing my way over anybody else's. I want hot now. I don't want to wait. I want to do what I want to do. Think about it this way. Speed limit around here says, what, 55? What do we drive on the way in? Come on. Some of you drove 55. Others of you drove what? 68, 69, we kind of giggle about it, right? Why? Because, well, we know the standard, but I'm important, and I push my schedule too much, and I've got to get there, and I'll justify it if you press me on it. You know what it is? The outward expression of the inward reality. I love doing what I want to do when I want to do it. Just don't get in my way. Hello? You see, when you begin to understand that sin is not just simply the words that come out of your mouth and thoughts you have in your head, but it's the actual thought that all of us love choosing our way over anybody else's, then it reaches every parameter of our life. See, some of us don't have a problem with 
with Paul's commandment in in 1 Thessalonians 4 on Sunday mornings. It is God's will you be set apart. Well, that's what we do. We go to church on Sunday morning. Isn't that what everybody does? We go to church on Sunday morning. But most of us struggle with being set apart for the enjoyment of God Monday through Saturday. Maybe even Sunday afternoon as soon as we get out of church because we have categorized our walk with God to just the time I give him rather than the life he's given me. And it's erroneous and idiotic for us to talk about purity in the lives of our students and in the lives of us as a church if we're not talking about purity in our own lives to where in my life I make a conscious decision that I can no longer choose my way over God's, but I must choose him. But you see, I'm bound in this because I'm, I'm, an, object, I'm an object of God's wrath by nature, Ephesians 2, 3 says. I know my mama said that I was pretty when I was born and I was all that in a bag of chips and she loves me, but the Bible has a different, different category for me. I'm an enemy to God when I choose my way over his. You with me tonight? And I'm stuck in that. It makes me a sinner. I know that's an old word. Our world doesn't use those words anymore. Our world thinks that sin is just socially unacceptable behavior. And if you can get enough education and rehabilitation, then you can eradicate it out of your life. And I got news for you. It won't happen until the one who can erase sin comes into your life. And that's God's plan for you and for me is that while Adam and Eve were wrestling with who was Lord, and you and I wrestle with who's Lord, who's really in control, whose will am I going to live, Jesus steps on the scene. God, who is spirit, takes flesh from a woman and lives in that flesh some 33 years, doing what none of us could do. He never, ever sins. How do we define sin? Sin is what? Choosing your way over, come on, talk to me, over God's way. And he never does it. But students, you know what? You know the power of this? Is what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says. It says that he was tempted in every way we are, yet he remained without what? Sin. And how do we define sin? Sin is what? Choosing my way over God's way. That in his life, he never ever chose his way over the Father's. And he was tempted in every way I'm tempted. That means he was tempted in ways that, Kyle, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind anybody knowing I've been tempted like speeding, right? You with me? Hello? All right? Or eating the last bowl of cereal and blaming it on one of my kids. It's a pretty effective lie, wasn't it? Hello? We don't mind. We laugh about stuff like that because it's so commonplace. We don't really see it. But, and he was tempted in ways like that, but he was also tempted in ways that I wouldn't want anybody knowing I've been tempted. Hello? And he never chose his way over the fathers. So that from his birth through his life, he won for us the righteousness of God. He lived out God's commandment. Leviticus 11.44, 19.2, be holy as I am holy. He lived set apart. You with me? And here's the crazy thing that I love about this because students and adults, this is, can I come down here? This is the joy of where purity happens. Purity isn't sin management. 
Because what I find among Christians is that the better we get at sin management, the less I think about God and the more willing I am to pat myself on the back. Any victory over sin is always a praise to him because he is the ultimate victor over sin. He never sinned. And here's the crazy part about this is that when I deserve death, when I deserve punishment, is that what happens? No, 2,000 years ago, God drove a stick in the ground and he hung his one and only blameless son on that cross to do for us what I call the great exchange. On the cross, when Jesus comes to change everything, he takes all my sins. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, and God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That on the cross, he takes all my sin, I get all of his righteousness. On the cross, he who had never done anything wrong takes all my punishment and I get all of his peace. On the cross, the one who'd never done anything wrong takes all of my death and I get all of his life. You see, what I'm trying to help us understand, church, is this, is that Jesus comes to announce to us who really is Lord. He comes to change everything. And here's the truth of this, is that he was set apart so you don't have to be torn apart. And he was torn apart so that you and I finally could be set apart to him and say, I'm not Lord, he is Lord. And the joy of this is you cannot work for it. You cannot work for what only God can give you. You cannot work for what only Christ can give you. And the joy of this passage is, is that he did this to demonstrate his love for us. Romans 5, 8 and when Jesus dies on the cross, the Bible tells us this, that God's demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died. That means, and if you don't hear anything else I gotta say tonight, I want you to hear this because the gospel drives purity because the gospel changes everything. And the gospel is not a track you lay down with a cheap tip after an evening meal. The gospel is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is the good news. You with me? Does that make sense? You tracking with me? So if you don't hear anything else I gotta to say tonight, I want you to hear this. When you see a cross, whether it's on the roadside commemorating someone's accidental death, whether it's, on, uh, top of, whether it's on the cashier's necklace at Walmart, or whether it's on top of a building like this as a piece of architecture, the cross screams one message. When you and I were enemies to God because we had chosen our own way, he says, I will love them. When Jesus stretches out his, his arms and his hands on the cross, he is in essence saying, Father, don't punish them, but punish me in their place. And for all times, express your great love. And that gospel is what changes you. And it's something that you can't work for. I love what Romans 5, 4 says. A verse I think needs to be as memorized as, 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 as uh, excuse me, Romans 4, 5 says, uh, a verse that needs to be memorized as much as John three sixteen. It says, for the man or woman who does not work but trust God to that person is credited righteousness. What? The ability to say yes to God. And isn't that what it means to be set apart? To be set apart for the specific purpose that you were born for. To be set apart to say yes to him. To be set apart so that you can enjoy him and he can enjoy you. You know, students, and, and I, I know I'm over my time at this point. Can, do you mind if I share? Is that okay? Just a little bit. I'm only here one time a year, man. I was torn apart before I could understand the power of being set apart. Students, this is a picture of me when I was 15 years old. That hair. I actually had hair until I started serving God's people, and then it fell out. I don't know what happened. 
bunch of sinners. Pull, no, let's make sure you listen. I grew up as an overweight kid in Greenville, South Carolina. Every day I get on the school bus, students on the school bus would sing this song. They go, hey, here comes Fat Brian. He's going to sing a song for you. <laughs> it was the Fat Albert anthem. And on the way back on the school bus, they would poke me in my stomach like I was the Pillsbury Doughboy, like I was going to go, hee, hee, hee. And I'll never forget, it was every day. One night when I got home from school, my, my parents at this time had split up. I was 10 years old when my folks split. Miraculously, they got back together when I was 17, but there were seven years there of just great void in my life. After football practice one night, I took my shirt off to get in the shower, and I had all these bruises on my stomach. My mom said, little Loretta, five foot four, she said, uh, where'd you get all those bruises? And I said, look, mom, here's what happened. I told her everything that happened on the school bus. She said, boy, let me tell you something. You come home with another bruise on your stomach, I'm going to wear you out. Now, when Loretta told you she was going to wear you out, and this is a woman that whipped me with battery cables, siphoning hoses, anything she could pick up, okay? I never thought about my mom abusing me. Love her that she just did not play, Okay. She was the single mama that said, I will survive, right? And I thought to myself, take up for myself or get a whooping. I'm going to take up for myself. The next day I got on the school bus, first kid that went, I went, pop, and just knocked him clean out. I sat wherever I wanted to sit. It was a whole new world. I sat wherever I wanted to sit. The problem was is I exchanged one insecurity for how I looked for another insecurity of how I could use these. And how I could use these came with a whole bunch of other insecurities about how to match up and fit in with all my friends. When I was 10 years old, students, I started smoking marijuana. We didn't say marijuana. I started smoking weed. By the time I was 11 and a half, I had given away my virginity by having sex. And it started a tidal wave of compelling curiosity of how I could fit in and how I could make people laugh and how I could be liked. So I'd either beat you up, smoke you up, or sex you up. And I had no idea what it was doing to my soul because I was trying to be Lord. See, I couldn't control what was happening with my mom and my daddy. I couldn't control the type of house we lived in, and I couldn't control a whole bunch of other mess that was going on. But the one thing I could control was how I acted out every day. And I didn't have a clue that how I acted out and what I was trying to control was actually sinful. It made me an enemy to God. But it was amazing how it made me awful popular among some guys and some girls. I lived like that from the fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. And between my eighth grade year and my ninth grade year in high school, I lost 100 pounds. When I rolled up in my freshman year in high school, that was a whole new world too because I was 100 pounds lighter. I was in shape. I was working out. And girls were in, I was always interested in girls, but I was like, hey, what y'all doing? Right? And it just continued to perpetuate to the point that I got kicked out of school. I got on a school bus one afternoon. I got into a fight on the way home with four other guys, two of which got hurt. Their parents pressed charges, and they kicked me out of school as a freshman in high school and charged me with assault and battery with high and aggravated nature. 
My mom, I'll never forget, she came to pick me up. They said, Miss Burgess, we can either put him under house arrest with you or we can take him to Givens Youth Facility. And little old Retta, five foot four, she was like, oh, I got this. I was like, please, please take me. Judgment day's coming. But I'm grateful. Because when my mom took me home, she said, Brian Burgess, you're not going to lay around this house all day. You're going to get up in the morning. You're going to clean this house. If you don't clean this house, I'm going to wear you out. Thought to myself, get a whipping or clean the house. I'm going to clean the house. And that's what I did. And one day when I got through cleaning the house, I noticed my mom had a big red Bible sitting on her coffee table. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm not in school. I need to do something academic. The Bible's a pretty good book. It's the only book we got in the house. I didn't know anything about the Bible, and I hated reading. Reading was to me like NyQuil is to the nighttime sniffling sneezer, and it just knocked me out. But I thought, here's the deal. I'll read one chapter a day, and so I thumbed through. I found the Gospel of Mark. I didn't even know it was the Gospel of Mark. I just had a friend named Mark. He was really cool, and there were 16 chapters, and I was like, score. I can do this. 16 days, one chapter a day, bam. And when I began to read the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark began to read me. And who I discovered was like someone I'd never met in my entire life. See, I'd even been baptized as an eight-year-old boy, but I didn't know who Jesus was. But I knew who the Lord was. I was the Lord, but I was fully confronted with the fact, no, 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 he's the Lord. I watched him go to the religious people, and he tried to love the religious people, but they loved their routine more than they loved God. I'm not sure what I said either. <laughs> I, I, I get it. That, that's okay. I get it. That's my time. That's my time. That's my time frame. I'll, I'll, I'll close this up right here. Which I thought was so, so odd because it was just like the kids that I went, I hung out with. See, all the church kids were with me on Friday and Saturday nights doing the same stuff I was doing. The only difference was they got up and went to church on Sunday morning. And I thought, well, good grief. They give you donuts and coffee. They got a half pretty cool band and speaker at least cracks one or two good jokes. Who couldn't do that? But I thought, if what they're doing on Friday nights and Saturday nights, Sunday doesn't change, then why should I go? And what I discovered was Jesus reached out to the people like me on the margin of society, the people that that were in all kinds of mess, and when he took them, he took them just as they were to the point that when he left them, they all said this, I will follow you, and I was spellbound. To the point I read the 14th, 15th, 16th chapter where Jesus was brutally beaten, died upon a cross, and raised from the dead. And I'll never forget it, I got out of my knees, or I got out of my chair, got out on my knees, and I said, Jesus, if you could do this for me, then I'll live for you. I was 15 years old, I'll be 41 next week. You do the math. I've never been the same. Because I've found that the gospel that can save me is the gospel that can sustain me. And it all starts with this question. Guy, girl, male, female, dad, mom, brother, sister, students. Who is the Lord? Are you the Lord? Or is Christ Jesus the Lord of your life? You see, the way you treat the opposite sex, the ways you entertain yourself, the image you view, 
the images you view, the temptations you flee, and the sensual standards that you live by are all ways you testify that you belong to Jesus Christ unless he is not the king of your life. And here's my point. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So any undertaking of purity that will be life-changing and lasting, regardless of what age you are, is not simply in a ring, it's not simply in a weekend, it's found in an encounter with Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And my question tonight is we start, who's Lord of your life? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I humble myself and I thank you for the time that I can spend with your church. And Lord, I know for some this is a real, a real question because if we were to look at our lives, I wonder if the question could be answered truthfully that you are Lord of all. Tonight you heard the gospel. Jesus lived sinlessly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously, and has made the promise that he's coming back one day for you. Is he Savior and Lord of your life? Not asking tonight if you go to church. I'm not asking if you've ever been baptized. I'm not asking if you've ever felt bad for something that you did against him. What I'm asking tonight is this. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Is he truly Lord of your life? If you're here tonight and you say, Brian, I get it, and he's not Lord of my life, then I want to give you an opportunity for that to change. The Bible makes an amazing promise to you in Romans chapter 10. The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And tonight, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, this is your first step in purity. You need to be born again. If that's you tonight, could I help you call upon the Lord? We're going to do this by a prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer, but something very supernatural in the authority of Scripture. That if you'll call on Him, He is big enough smart enough, powerful enough to rescue you. Would you borrow my words tonight and pray them to Jesus that he could become Savior and your Lord of your life? Would you simply say, Jesus, I have chosen my way over yours and that makes me a sinner. My sins separate me from you and I am in danger. I humble myself, I turn from my sins, and in faith I turn to you. Be my Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. Be my Lord. I will follow you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, here's what I want to simply ask you. 
If you barred my words tonight, understand that what we just did was not a moment of rededication. See, you cannot rededicate what has never been Jesus's. But tonight, you barred my words and asked Jesus to become your Savior and Lord. Here's what I want to ask you to do. When I count to three, would you just be willing to raise your hand and say, that's me. Jesus just forgave me of all my sins. I just became his child. I want to confess that. Here's what I want to ask you to do when I count to three. Would you just raise your hand? Here we go. One, Lord, I trust you. Two, three. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Any others? I won't embarrass you. I promise you I won't. Those of you who raised your hands, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to open your eyes. I want you to look at me. Just those. This is the most important decision in your life because this is where life begins. You came into this room tonight as a dead man or a dead woman. And right now, you have crossed over from death to life. Everything you have ever done against him has been washed away by the power of his shed blood. His banner over you is love, mercy, and grace. You are brand new. You belong to him now. The heavens are erupting, the Bible tells us in the, in the book of Luke, with angels rejoicing over you who've turned from your sins in repentance. You could be his. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Because like my little baby girl, Georgia Rain, you're too small right now to leave by yourself. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a few moments, and I appreciate the graciousness of allowing me to grossly go over my time limit tonight. I'm going to be standing right over here in the corner, and I'm going to ask you on your own dignity and your own accord to just simply walk up and say, Brian, introduce yourself. I just gave my life to Christ. And I want to make sure that you understand the decision you made. For the rest of you here, I want to encourage you to be here this weekend. I want to encourage you to, on the way home tonight to ask yourself the question, if you are a born-again Christian, does Jesus have control of every area of my life? And if you find yourself answering no to that, then I want to ask you to find yourself saying, Jesus, forgive me too. Father, thank you for our time tonight. Give these who have just been born again boldness to confess it. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brian. My name is Corey Ogborn. I am the director of missions and young adults here at Grace Community and... I have the privilege of giving some announcements tonight, but first I thought I would tell you that I went through True Love Waits in 1994 and made the covenant on this very stage. It wasn't until 2006 that I got married and realized the importance of that commitment. So I hope tonight is just the beginning of a very clear path, a clear journey for you. Um, the scripture that was given to me at that time I want to read to you tonight, it remains my favorite uh, just because it was a very solid piece of advice given with it, and I'm going to keep that to myself, but this is the scripture I want to share with you. Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
That's my hope and prayer for you this weekend, that transformation would begin to take place. I have a few announcements for you. Some fun stuff. Tomorrow, parents, this is for you. There will be a resource table available. You need to bring cash or a check if you would like to purchase any resources tomorrow. Um, Husbands, if you don't want to purchase any resources tomorrow, leave the cash and check at home. Didn't work. I'm not funny either. Sorry. (laughs) I'm told the pictures you took tonight will be available online. You can download those and print them, and feel free to use those. After dinner, we're going to ask that you stack your chairs so we can begin a reset process in this room. It will be very helpful if you could stack your chairs after dinner tonight. Tomorrow morning, there will be a continental breakfast uh, starting at 9 o'clock and going until 9.30 when the conference starts. So we are going to ask that you arrive just before 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, check into the student center foyer where you checked in tonight, and receive a gift bag. Uh, There's free stuff, so show up at 9 o'clock to get that. Um, I said 9 o'clock, show up at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. How many of you will be here at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning or just before 9 o'clock tomorrow morning? I am the young adult pastor. Last night I had opportunity to lead Bible study. We talked about how when you say something, that you're going to do something, that that's your word, and if you don't do it, actually, you make a liar of yourself. So for those of you who just raised your hand and said you would be here at 9 o'clock in the morning, um, please be here at 9 o'clock. Please be prompt. And if you're not, uh, you made a liar out of yourself. Sorry about that. And I'm not saying that you should be guilty. Don't rush. Don't drive too fast down the freeway. Don't be guilty. But you should be repentant. Well, that was funny. Great. Great. No, 9 o'clock to 9.30, there's continental breakfast in the morning, and we would like you to show up at 9 and be prepared for what God has in store. Be praying as well, not just for you and your family, but for the families around you. Look at a few faces. Identify a few people. A lot of prayer needs to go into this weekend. This weekend is a very short time in what will be years of, of God's answering his promise to you as you make this commitment this weekend. Let me pray for us, and we will dismiss. Don't forget, Pastor Brian is over here, and he would like to meet with those who made a first-time decision or introduce yourself to him. Also, there are other pastors in the room. Tim is here, Jared, myself, and Stephen, and we would like to talk to you. If you have any questions, see one of us, and we will help you with that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We've planned and prepared for this weekend for quite a while. Families have had conversations and prepared for what you will teach them this weekend. Pastors and speakers have prepared messages and schedules so that your word would be at the center of all we do. Lord, special people prepared meals, snacks, decorations, and have handled the administration of what will take place this weekend. Each of them prayed over food and materials that you would be glorified in what takes place. You have prepared Pastor Brian to give the central message this weekend, and it's obvious already that he desires to serve you and advance your kingdom's work. God, we recognize that none of this These people, their work, none of it would be possible without you. We love you, God. Be all and in all we do and say. For your glory, God, bless this weekend. Amen.